Um, we are going to go on in the book of Judges, and uh, we've been teaching through the story of Samson. So we're going to keep going through that this morning. And uh, before we go for, far, um, I want to point something out. You know, when we think of Samson, and these are some artist rendition of Samson, he's somewhere between like Hercules and The Rock, right? Um, Maybe a little uh, elf off of Lord of the Rings thrown in there. He's this bulging muscles, ripply guy with these, these you know, pecs out to there and this uh, long, glorious hair. And I just don't, I just want you to wipe that from your mind, okay? I think Samson is the nerdiest little goober. I think he's got little tiny arms and he's kind of short, maybe a, a really small jaw and hunched over. Think Urkel when you think Samson. Think Think a guy with his pants pulled too tall and just just kind of a nerd. And there's a reason that I'm saying that. Because God gets the glory from what Samson does. You know, we think that God, if, if we're going to do something, that God's going to come along and give us the muscles to do it. And then we're going to go around and do it. You know, Samson pulled about a four-ton gate off of a city wall, the, the capital city, and marched 45 miles and put it on top of a mountain. You don't do that with muscles. You can't, you can't get there. It says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. God took somebody that was weak, somebody that was inept, somebody that had issues, and he used him for his glory and for his purpose. You know, that's exciting. When God called Moses in, in uh, Exodus chapter 3, God's talking to Moses, and he says, I want you to go out, and, and you're going to just, I'm going to deliver my people, and, and you're going to do that for, uh, for me. Moses said, I can't do that. God said, I know you can't do that. I didn't say you were going to do it. I said, I was going to do it. Moses said, yeah, but, but I don't speak good. And he said, I, I don't need you to speak good. I need you to do what I told you. But, 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 but I can't. I know you can't. I'm going to do it. You know, how often are we that way? And when we think of Samson as some titan, some mighty man, some, some strong guy, man, we could never do that. Amen. You could never do that. But God can. And God doesn't need your strength, your muscles, he doesn't need your debonair personality. He doesn't need you to speak well or, or to be particularly beautiful. He just needs you to be available. He needs you to say, yes, Lord. Yes, you are my Lord. You know, we think in the flesh. We think we need a, we need a building here. We need to build something. We need, we need money to build that. Samson needs to move a gate. He needs muscles. You know what the human body is? This is a chart for the human body. 61% oxygen, 23% carbon, 10% hydrogen, 2.6% nitrogen, throw in some calcium, and less than 1% of some other stuff. You know what that means? You know what your muscles are? You know what your good looks, your strong bones? It's about 30 pounds of charcoal, a barrel of water, throw a little iron in there, some rust, and a bag of salt. That's you. That's who we are. We're, we're a couple bags of charcoal. But we're more than that. And you know what that more is? That addition? It says that, that God breathed into our nostrils a shaped piece of mud. He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. God did that. It is God in you that allows you to breathe, to walk, talk, to function in any way. And we say, God, I'm bringing to you my ability. Do you know where you got it? Do you know why you have any ability? Because God gave it to you. Because God's the one that, that designed you the way he did. And, and you know what? You're perfect for what he has planned for you. You're exactly the right thing for what he... And we go, no, I need, a, I need a pump iron. You know, I need to get those muscles so I can move the gate. I need to prepare to go do ministry for God. I need to prepare so that God can use me. So I'm going to go pump iron. And guess what? Boom. Another bag of charcoal. Now you're 45 pounds of charcoal. Guys, that doesn't help God. He doesn't need more carbon in your life. He needs more spirit in your life. Walk after the flesh and not after the spirit. Maybe you go to too many buffets. 
add another barrel of water. You say, well, God, I'm going to lose weight, and then, uh, then you can use me. No. No. You know, the Bible says bodily exercise profiteth little. You know why? Because on one side of the equation, you have your flesh. It's going to burn. It's appointed a man wants to die. Everybody's body is going away. It's appointed a man wants to die. One side of the equation, you have the flesh. The other side, you have the spirit. The spirit's life. The spirit's where God lives. The spirit is what he's interested in. Your soul, you know what God needs from you? Obedience, faith, trust, loving him, loving each other, not your flesh. Don't ever be committed to doing what you're able to do. Don't ever say, here's what I'm able to do and not what I'm able to do. Say, God, what are you going to do? And I'm going to follow you. That's it. That's it. And when, we're, and when we're in that place, the story of Samson, I hate that they draw him with big muscles. Because we look at Samson and we go, wow, look how strong Samson was. No, Samson was a goober, man. He was, he was let me read the story. He's a terrible guy. But God used him for his glory because he was the guy God was using. He was the guy that God wanted, and we'll get into that story. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of Samson. Thank you that you are awesome and that we get to follow you. Thank you for our young graduates. Thank you for, for Jesse and Nora and just getting to know them and, and to be uh, a part of their walk, their life for this, this year and a half. Father, I pray that you would open the word to us this morning. Help me to get out of the way. Help us to see you and how awesome and powerful you are. Father, help us to be more committed to you, to walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we are. We are in Israel. This is, uh, if you've been here before, you know I like maps. We, this is the Dead Sea at the bottom. That's the Sea of Galilee at the top. Those squiggly lines are where Samson's ministry takes place. It's not a big area. We see maps of Israel, and we think United States, right, Canada and Mexico. It's about 65 miles between these two seas, between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. So it's not very big. It's a, it's a small area that we're dealing with. And I want to go back and catch these few verses that we covered before, and, and that gives us a gist of where we're at. So this has been um, after uh, the Samson married this, his, his first wife. And then uh, he made a bet that he could uh, have this riddle. The guys got his wife to tell them what the meaning of the riddle was. He got mad, went and killed down in Ashkelon. He killed 30 guys, brought their clothes and stuff back and gave it to the men he had made the bet with. And that's where we're going to pick up in 15.1. It says, but it came to pass within a while after in the time of wheat harvest that Samson visited his wife with a kid. That's a baby goat. And he said, I will go into my wife under the chamber, but her father would not suffer him to go in. And her father said, I verily thought that thou hast utterly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took firebrands and turned tail to tail and put firebrands in the midst of the two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire... He let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and also the standing corn with the vineyards and the olives. So here Samson has come back. He wants to, to go in and have uh, a, a visit to his wife for m marital purposes. And, and, the, and the father says, no, you left. I thought you didn't want her, so I gave her to the guys you made the bet with. And now that she's his wife, you can have her younger sister. Samson gets mad, and he burns down their, their shock wheat. That's the stuff they've put into a pile. Their standing wheat, that's the stuff they haven't harvested yet. Their olives, that's their trees that took years to grow, and their vineyards. He burns all the livelihood of the entire town over this. Now we'll start new in verse 6, chapter 15, verse 6. Then the Philistines said, Who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timite, because he hath taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. So they said, Who, who's the one that is responsible for burning all of our crops down? Who's the one that did this? And they found out that it was Samson, 
and that they had done it because of what this guy's, his father-in-law had done. That was Samson had taken retribution, and it, and it tore the whole town up. So the town at this point doesn't blame Samson. They hear what the father-in-law did and said, you know, gave his wife away. So they figure it's the father-in-law's fault. Now, look what, look at what has happened back in, in chapter 14, verse 15, when this was taking place. Samson had made the bet. And, and the guys couldn't figure out the bet, so they went to Samson's brand new wife less than a week, and it came to pass on the seventh day they said unto Samson's wife, Entice thy husband, that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn thee in thy father's house with fire. So they had come to the wife and said, We are going to burn up you and your father unless you tell us the answer to the riddle. And so she told them the answer, and the outcome to that was the same a dead Philistine town. Now, God's design, God's purpose from the beginning was to wipe out the Philistines. God's delivering Israel from the Philistines, and he's using Samson to do it. So this is where God starts. The bottom line is, God says, I want to wipe this town out. I want to destroy it. Now, God, we know from Sodom and Gomorrah, can call fire down from the sky. He can raise the town and just destroy everything, burn it all up, but God's chosen to use people to do his will. He's chosen to use us and teach us through that. He wants the, the Philistines and the Israelites to fear God because God will do something. So this is the bottom line. He's going to destroy the town. Now, how do we know that? Because it told us back in Judges chapter 10, verse 16, that when they'd put away strange gods from among them and served the Lord, and his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. So back all the way in chapter 10, Israel repented and started to serve the Lord, and the Lord was grieved. Then in ch uh, chapter 13, we see verse 5, For lo, thou shalt conceive, this is a prophecy about Sam Samson's coming, and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So God's prophecy from before Samson's birth is, I'm going to deliver Israel with, with Samson. I'm going to, to stop the hold that the Philistines have on Israel, and I'm going to use Samson to do it. So that's the bottom line. That's what God's doing. He's wiping out this Philistine town. Now, how God going to do that? How, what is he going to do that's going to take us from, from where they were to a dead Philistine town? He has an interesting series of things that he adds up. He starts with a weak father and then an indulgent mother. He takes a wandering lion, and then he adds some extra strength to a guy. He gets a queen bee to move into the lion, an egotistical brat that would have a bet and then, and then go kill a bunch of people, and some crying chick. God uses this series of events to destroy a town. Who would think of that? Who would, who would think, you know what, I want to destroy a town. I want to find an indulgent mother, and a bee is going to wipe a town out. Maybe a lion. You know, if God were to come down 1941 and give a man the strength of Samson, what do you think he'd do? I think he'd get on the next boat over to Europe and wreak havoc. I mean, Captain America on steroids. He would, he would destroy the Nazi empire because good men stand for what's right, right? He, he would do that. So if God had given somebody power, that was theirs to wield however they wanted. And they could, they could go at any time and do whatever they wanted. Then they would have become tyrannical. They would have become a, a holy terror in killing the Philistines. But God wasn't done with the judgment of Israel. He wasn't done bringing them to himself. And ultimately, he was going to use the Philistines in establishing the, the uh, line of kings uh, through, through uh, Saul. And so, and, and what uh, um, uh, Samuel would do. So God is going to just destroy the one town, and he uses this list of things to get what he wants done. You know God is sovereign? You know nothing escapes his attention? That he is from the beginning and to the end, and he knows everything in between. And he can make a choice to make a butterfly take off, and that can make a hurricane on the other side of the world. God can do whatever God wants to do. And Romans tells us that's his business. He's God. He's welcome to do that. The Bible says if we acknowledge God in all our ways, he will direct our path. You know, one of my constant prayers for God 
is put my feet in your path. This is something I pray every day, every night. I pray for wisdom, and Lord, put my feet in your path. Just wherever you want me to go. You know why? Because God can use a bee to destroy an empire. Because he's God. Make that part of your prayer. God, put my feet in your path. Direct me. Judges 15, 7. And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet I will be avenged of you, and after that I will cease. So the guys come down and they burn this wife, his ex, or his, what was his wife, and her father in their house, they burned them in fire. Now the, the town's livelihood has been destroyed, and the family that Samson had married into, they're all burned up with fire. And Samson comes and he's still petulant. He had walked off and left this woman, left her at her father's house and had been gone for a season. And when he comes back to get her and she's not there, he says, I'm going to go do it to you what you've done to me. Verse 8, and he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter and went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Edom. So it says hip and thigh, that's, a, that's an idiom in the Hebrew that, that he destroyed them with, with vengeance, with absolute destruction. He goes into this town that had killed his ex-wife and absolutely kills everybody. Big slaughter. Samson kills them all. And then he goes, and it says he dwelt in the top of the rock Edom. The reason it says in is there's a cave in top of the rock Edom. So he goes up there, and he gets in this rock. So this is the town where he, where he wrought his vengeance. And he travels over here to this rock in Edom. And that's what it looks like up there on top of the rock. It was, a, it was way out in the wilderness where nobody would grow anything. Nobody wanted to live up there. It was... Uh, just out in the middle of nowhere. So he wipes out this town, and he goes and he parks up there on this rock, and he sits there and sulks. Maybe he didn't sulk, but that's my opinion of Samson. Verse fifth, Chapter 15, verse 9. Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah, and spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why are ye come up against us? And they answered, To bind Samson are we come up to do to him as he's done to us. Now, I think this is, this is an important thing to stop and think about. What was Samson's reason for destroying this town? He said, I'm going to do to you what you've done to me. You see, there's, there's a cascade of decisions. Samson kills the lion, gets the honey, thinks I'm clever, I'm going to make a bet, makes a bet. And then the guys, what Samson said, plowed with his heifer, got his wife to tell them what, the, what this riddle was. So Samson loses the bet. So he says, that's not fair. I'm going to go kill some guys and give them the stuff. That's how I'm going to pay my bet off. You see the cascade of events that came from just getting some honey out of a lion. And then the men said, how, how dare Samson uh, uh, do this when he left? So he gave the wife away. And then Samson comes back and wants the wife. And so all these events take place. And then Samson says, I'm going to do to them what they did to me. And then they say, I'm going to do to Samson what Samson did to me. You know, Samson accepted the Philistine culture. He accepted that, that the way that I should function, the morality that I hold, is the same morality that the Philistines hold. That was Samson's point of view, that I deserve to be respected, and if I'm disrespected, I'm going to return that disrespect in kind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them back. That was his attitude. So here he is over on the Rock of Edom, and here they are. They're gathered around in Lehi, and they're getting ready to go, go pick him up at the rock. Then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the Rock Edom and said to Samson, Knowest thou not what the Philistine, that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done to us? And he said unto them, As they did unto me, so I have done unto them. You see his, his attitude towards them. We, as God's people, need to influence society and not to be influenced by society. You understand that difference? Here's the way the, the scripture says it, that you're part of the world, but don't be a part of the world. That you're here in the flesh, that you live here, but don't be part of this world. You're from a different place. You're an ambassador here. You have a different calling, a different high priest, a different king, and you're no longer just a citizen of the United States, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. 
and you answer to a different set of rules than everybody around you. The Bible says that Christians are a peculiar people. And we can't allow the, the society to dictate what we believe is right and wrong. We allow God to dictate what is right and wrong. And I don't mean by, by internalizing and thinking, hmm, what, what do I think God would want? I mean taking a book that God wrote and opening that book and finding that chapter and that verse and saying, this is what God has called me to do, and I'm going to do it. If we were to do that, amazing, if we as the church were to do that, incredible things would happen. Do you know how big of a percentage of the United States considers themselves Christian? I mean, it's shrinking rapidly. We're still at around 50%. Christians in the United States that consider, let's suppose that every Christian in the United States was just as verbose as every atheist in the United States. How long do you think it'd be before we had prayer in school again? How long do you think it'd be before we had people standing up as our children graduated and thank God for His work in their life? Friends, that would make a difference in our country, in our nation. It would make a difference in our work, in our car when we're riding to work and carpooling. It would make a difference when we're on the job if we said, I'm not going to talk the way the world talks, I'm talking differently. If we as saints said, my goal and my focus in life is different than what the world tells me I need. I turn on the TV and I see, buy this thing, own this thing, get this job, add this money, get, get this lifestyle. If you just have this lifestyle, you'll be happy. Go on that cruise. And I said, Lord, I submit my life to you and you alone. And whatever you designed, that's what I'm going to do. And he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's written in red and white because Jesus is the one that said it. He said, if you'll seek me first, I'll add all these things to you. You go, no, I need to, I need to get, I need, I need to receive. I need to work and, and save my money up so I have this stuff. And God says, no, you seek me first and I'll add what you need. You go, but I know what I need. And he goes, no, you don't. Acknowledge me in all your ways and I'll direct your steps. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It says, he that will be rich spreads a net for his feet. You know, God's culture is a little different than ours. The Bible says to love one another, period. Period. Just If we could just accomplish that as the church, if we could just love each other as the church and everybody we meet, do you know what a difference we would make? We would be salty again, friends. We'd be the salty church, the light church. And I don't just mean crossroads. I mean, I mean the body of Christ in America. I don't mean all the people that come to churches that aren't Christians, just the Christians. To love each other and love God and to put that culture first. And yet, we are eye for eye. We, we are still holding on to this idea that if you do me wrong, then I'm doing you, I'm doing you right back the same way. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, arm for arm. Bad word for bad word. And the Bible says that charity suffereth long, right? It's long suffering. The love of God is long suffering. Look at what this can't be emphasized enough. It can't be emphasized enough. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Baal? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Paul says, how are you going to get along with an infidel and, and, and have a meeting of hearts and minds? How are you going to establish a relationship that puts you on equal terms and, and have an equal currency of that relationship with an infidel? Because you're peculiar. You're different. Continuing on, 2 Corinthians 6, 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? That's your body. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He says, how are you going to have an agreement with idols? Do you know what idols are? When you put something in front of God, and you say, yes, I have, I'm going to serve God right after. There's your idol. He said, how are you as the temple of God going to put that thing first? And it doesn't matter what the thing is. Is it your hairstyle? 
God, I, I, I want to serve you in every way except my hair is cool. I'm going to keep my hair the way it is. I'm not saying there's a godly and ungodly hairstyles. I'm saying if you have a thing and says, God, I'll give you everything but this thing, he comes up and finds that thing and thumps it. I've been thumped. I have. I, I, I remember when I, was, uh, when I was a young man, I was, I was probably 16, 17. I had my black pickup truck. I was, I was driving. I remember where I was. And God said, pray for this missionary. And this song had just come on the radio that I really liked, and I had cranked it up. And God said, pray for this missionary. Okay, right after this song. Thump, 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 thump. God, right at Thump, 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 thump. Boop, radio goes off. I didn't turn my radio on for like a month. I, I was, I, God said, you're putting this song before me. Stop it. I want to be first. It's not that that missionary couldn't wait three minutes to get prayed for. It's that I said, Lord, when I'm done, when I'm done, I'm going to serve you. Don't have an idol. Money, don't let it be there. That relationship, cut it off. That, that thing that I'm going to do, what if we said, God, I'm going to serve you, and God says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. Well, I don't believe that. Okay. But God said in the scripture, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. Direct quote. I didn't make that up. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't apply anymore because that was a different culture. I'm sorry. God's culture changed? It did not. Our culture changed. God's culture is the same as it always was. And God's designed roles for us. And those roles, if they're fulfilled the way God wants them to, are absolutely beautiful. Husbands, love your wives as God also has loved the church. Yeah, but you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. I can't, that woman, I, that's, she's not lovable. Okay, love your enemies. She's mean. Okay, do good to them that despitefully use you. Husbands, there is no excuse. There is no reason ever for you to not be loving toward your wife, for you to not hold her good above your own. And you say, but that's not my culture. My culture says if she speaks mean to me, I'm yelling right back. She decks me, I'm decking her back. She, she, she packs green beans in my lunch. I'm spreading them all over the, cow, all over the house because I'm going to do to her what she does to me. That's what our culture tells us to do, to stand up for yourself. The Bible doesn't tell you to do that. The Bible tells you to love your wife. Shut up and do it. Stop standing up and saying, this is my right. Say, God, I don't have any rights. I belong to you and you alone. And, and, and my rights are, are gone. I left them at the cross. When you redeemed me and when you purchased me with your blood, I ceased to be. I stopped and I became a new creature. And this new creature belongs to God. And I'm submitted to him in every way. And I will reject the culture of this world. The, the world's culture tells you if you're going to love each other, then you have to accept that some men are women. That's not God's culture. That's not what God says. God says it's an abomination. That's not kind. No, you know what's not kind? is to take something that, that is destroying our nation, our children, and our friends and family, and to say we accept that destruction in your life because that destruction makes you happy. That is not walking in love toward your fellow man because God said so, not because I said so. Okay. I'm staying too long on this point. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Wherefore, come ye out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Hallelujah. You know, this doesn't seem so big today, but my friend over in Laos, one of his big responsibilities as a missionary is to provide family for those that are born again. Because when they get born again and they stop going to the Buddhist temple and they give up animism and, and it, they stop it in their weddings, they say, no, we can't have a wedding like that because that's, that's against the name of God. Their families reject them and they're kicked out and they're cut off. And they, they lose the ability to have cousins over to their house, to go to others' weddings, to, to interact and have all the stuff that we think about. And God said, listen, I'm going to be your dad. And when, and when you're cut off and when no one else loves you, I want you to come to me because you're a new creature in me and you're going to accept my way of doing things and not theirs and I'm going to be there for you and you're going to be my sons and my daughters. Friends, there is nothing better than walking in fellowship with God, walking after the Spirit of God, resting in that truth. Don't let the culture of the world define your culture. 
Let the word of God define your culture. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the difference between a world culture and God's culture, and that is our focus. Our focus is on the coming and that blessed appearance of Jesus Christ. That's our focus. And everything else loses focus when that's your focus. Everything else is less important when that's your focus. And you say, well, I can't be rich. That's not what I'm saying. I have friends that spray paint their chrome rims with black paint so that they won't focus on the flesh. And I, I laugh with sadness and say, you're focused on the flesh. Who cares whether it's chrome or purple or black? It's just a wheel. Stop focusing on the wheel and focus on Jesus Christ. The wheel's no longer important. I'll stop preaching on that, okay? I get a little excited. I'm looking for a blessed hope, friends. I'm looking for it today. Me and Mabel, we're going home. We're going to see Jesus. I hope it's this year that we get to stand around the throne. I'm ready to go. Aren't you, Auntie? Aren't you ready? We're going to go see Jesus. Woo! I'm excited. John 2, right, brother? Woo! Okay, I'm, st I'm, a, I'm, I'm stopping. <laughs> Judges. I'm back in Judges. Judges 15, 11. Then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock Edom and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done to us? And he said unto them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. They said, Don't you know these guys are in charge? They're the boss. How could you do this? And they said unto him, We are come down to bind thee, that we might deliver thee unto the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, Swear unto me that ye will not fall upon me yourselves. I don't think Samson thinks he's getting out of this. You know, he doesn't have strength all the time, just when the Spirit of God comes on him. I think he's there and he says, Okay, but don't you kill me. Let the Philistines do it. 15.13, And they spake unto him, saying, No, but we will bind thee fast and deliver thee into their hands. But surely we will not kill thee. And they bound him with two new cords and brought him up from the rocks. This is 3,000 men of Judah. It takes a while to get 3,000 men together. Can you imagine trying to go around and knock on doors and get 3,000 guys to do anything to come to worship night? It, it, it's, it's hard to get people to go out, but these guys are motivated by fear. So you get 3,000 of them to say, okay, we're going to go tie this guy up and give him to Samson. That's a big group of guys marching out in the wilderness because they're, they're afraid. Verse 14, and when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands. I think this is after the, the, the guys from Judah. I think they give him to the Philistines. He's in the middle of this thousand group of armed men. He's all bound up. Now, you know, we read words like a thousand soldiers, and we go, yeah, okay, we're just going to keep going, right? Kill him with a jawbone of a donkey, keep going. You know, the Philistines are warrior race. They're bigger than, the, than everybody else. They're, they're from Europe. And, and there's these Grecian guys, and... And they've got these rippling muscles, right? Because they wear armor around all the time. They've got this, this armored skirt that comes down to protect their legs and everything down, down here. And they've got this armored chest plate that's on. And they're carrying a spear that's about six or seven feet long. It's got a big old spear point that's sharp on it, a, a counterweight. And they're carrying small shields and a sheathed sword, something like a Roman sword. These are bad dudes. These are guys that spent their lives ready to fight they all look like alex they're like they got they got muscles <clears throat> and and so so can you imagine you're tied up in the middle of a thousand guys with spear points and then suddenly these things break and the spirit of god comes upon samson the bands loosed off his hands and he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, with a jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with a jaw of an ass, I've slain a thousand men. Okay, just logistically for a second. He, he finds a, a dead donkey. 
and he rips its jaw off. It's a new jawbone, right? Have you ever seen one? I grew up on a farm. They're about that long, and they, they kind of hook like this, and there's molars across it. Friends, I would rather have a stick than a jawbone of a donkey. They're not good weapons, okay? They're molars. They're, the teeth are like this wide, and, and they're made to grind grass together. If you took a jawbone of a donkey and you hit a board, it's going to break the jawbone, not the board, if you hit it hard enough. If you have a, sh- a guy with a spear that's coming at you with a shield and his spear, and he's, and he's blocking like this, right? How are you going to attack him with this little jawbone that's about that long? Now, how about a thousand guys? And here you've got a jawbone, and you're going after that one, and the other one's stabbing you in the back. Muscles aren't going to cut this. I can imagine the guys from Judah. They drop Samson off, and they're like, whew, whew, we got through with that one without having any, uh, rec- you know, the, the Philistines coming after us. Good for that. They're walking away, and they hear, they're like, wow, they're giving it to Samson. You know, whew, glad I'm not Samson. Here goes the Philistines. Boom. They're like, what? Go back there and boom, all the thousand Philistines are dead with the jawbone. That's a big, it, it probably took a while. I mean, a thousand anybody's, that, that, that would take a while. This is a big, messy event that Samson does because the Spirit of God. You know, God wanted to kill a thousand soldiers, but he didn't want to just kill a thousand soldiers. He could have given them all botulism and they'd fall over. God wanted to kill a thousand soldiers with the jawbone of a donkey so that people would go, you know why? Because our God is awesome. Because when we see our God and what he does, we go, that's what, that's, that's our, that's what we ought to do. When we see what God does, when, when he raises people from the dead, when he raises himself and comes back from the dead and he walks among us and says, I have redeemed you. Woo! We just go, wow, what a God, what a Savior we serve. You know, he heals people. You know, he saves people. People that are drug addicts go from being a drug addict to being a saint in one minute. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And that's our God that we serve. And our jaws drop because he can kill a thousand people with a jawbone of a donkey. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called that place Ramoth Leha, which is just uh, Lehi, which is just the hill of the jawbone, uh, w- 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 was his answer to it. And his his poetry, although bad, it it rhymes in Hebrew. If you if you read the the chasten the word that the uh, jawbone and group heap is off of, it rhymes. So it made more sense in Hebrew. Uh, Judges 15, 18, and he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. You know, this is the first recording we have of Samson calling on the name of the Lord. Is that ridiculous? He, he just killed a thousand people because that's what God was directing him to do. And then he says, oh, God, I'm going to die because I'm thirsty. You know, when God does something amazing in our life, it's ridiculous how short it is our memories are and how easy it is for us to forget what God did. Did you know that God rescued you from sin and saved you and appointed a home for you in heaven and freed you? And then we're like, oh, God, God I lost my job. I don't know. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to live in the street. Instead of going, man, God, you can do anything. And if you want me to live in the street, awesome. I'm going to have a ministry in the street, in prison. Whatever you do, God, you're awesome. And we forget that God is awesome. Here he is. He just killed a thousand guys. And he's like, I'm thirsty. I'm going to die. Judges 15, 19. But God played a hollow place in, uh, that was in the jaw. And there came water there out. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again and revived, wherefore he called the name, therefore, in Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. That means spring of him who calls, the person that asked God for water, he got it. Samson's not great at naming things. I think it's good he didn't have children. He would name, like, later, I am um, Samson's son who poops, because that was the first thing that Samson saw, so he named him very, uh, very uh, literally. Uh, Judges 15, 20. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines, 20 years. So we have this, this idea that all of the stuff from Samson takes place in a year or two. And that's not the case. God is judging the Philistines, and he's given the Philistines 
cause, if you will. I mean, if, if you had a thousand men to go and arrest a guy, and you didn't even arrest him, his countrymen arrested him, tied him up and gave him to you, trussed up like a pig, and then you later come out and find the thousand men all destroyed, and a couple of guys, the Hebrews saying, this guy, this skinny dude, Samson, did that with the jawbone of a donkey. Next time you're going to come into somebody's house and kick it down and burn it and like do some mean stuff to the Hebrews, I think you have a little pause there. You go, their God is powerful. I think I, I'm going to wait. God's, God's spanning this ministry out for 20 years. So we're going to jump down to Gaza. If you recall, Gaza is what's in the news right now. That's where the, the area where they're, uh, the terrorists are sending rockets over into Israel and Israel is responding right now. Judges 16.1. And Samson, uh, and then went Samson to Gaza, and saw there an harlot, and went unto her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson is come hither. And they compassed him in, and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city. And were quiet all night, saying, in the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. So, for a period of time, for years maybe, now remember Samson has been, he's been up in, uh, in that top of the map there, up around Zorah and Lehi, and, and he's been over to um, some, of the, some of the cities of the Philistines up there in the north, but he's been a regional problem, at least so far as we know. He has, for whatever reason, traveled south away from his homeland and down into the capital city of the Philistines little wimp comes strolling in there and sees this this woman and decides I'm going to I'm going to hire her for the night and the Philistines hear about it now this is this is a terrible thing that Samson's doing there's been people that try to explain away Samson's sin I don't think that's necessary at all God uses sinners and that's not to glorify the sin or say the sin is okay but God can still work his will 1621 we're going to see the the that when this conflict becomes regional they actually bring Samson back to Gaza, and that's where Samson finishes his ministry in 1621. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. So when Samson's finished his ministry and he's brought back, he's brought back into Gaza. This is the reason, I think, that Gaza comes into the story. It's possible that Samson has done stuff back up north that, that Samuel didn't tell us about when he wrote the book of Judges. But this is, this is the part that he brings out because he's down in Gaza. So the Philistines have five major cities. There are city-states, and each city-state has a king or a lord over the state, and they will get together for uh, certain like battles or wars or things like that. So they have Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, and Gath, which is the, the, uh, the some of these cities are actually still there. They're still shooting rockets out of Ashkelon into Israel right now, and Ashdod. So... Uh, you have these, these five city-states, and we see them all the way until they are conquered later on. These guys have come from, from Greece. They've been here for 150 years or so at this point. And they have uh, built up these huge civilizations on top of old civilizations. The walls around Gaza, which is their capital, are likely big enough to run chariots around the top to move supplies back and forth. The walls are in the neighborhood between maybe 40 and 60 feet tall around this big capital city that is the heart of the nation of the Philistines. And this is a nation that's very warlike. They came in here fighting the Egyptians. They're still fighting the Egyptians. They're fighting Israel. If they show weakness, they're going to get destroyed right away. They're, they're the invaders for the area. So as they've invaded the area and, and they're there, they, their security is paramount. The gates that they shut are the gates on this major city. These are not a gate you walk through. This is a gate that you bring chariots or you bring wagons back and forth into this major city. It's probably in the neighborhood of 16 feet wide, maybe 20 feet wide. The gates are, are going to be made out of oak, nice seasoned oak from that area. Big thick planks, maybe four or six inches thick. And then banded with iron on the outside of the gate to keep it from catching fire from an enemy. The posts on the side are going to be big oak trees with, with wrought iron where they would beat the iron out around it. And then you would put uh, that collar down and then slide a metal pipe over your post and then slide another piece of the hinge down so that the hinge pin would be a big chunk of oak 
and then iron all around that thing to swing this huge heavy gate in and out. We're talking 4,000 pounds apiece for these two gates is, is what the archaeologists uh, uh, think that probably they were in the, in the realm of. So 8,000 pound gates. If, if to put it into perspective, I think my pickup truck weighs 6,600 pounds. That four-door full-size Dodge. So we're, we're not talking about a pickup. We're talking about a commercial vehicle is the weight of the gates. So here are the five major cities as they're spread out. You see each one of those, Gaza in the far uh, bottom. And then you have Ashkelon, Ashdod, uh, Ekron, and Gath going up and around. And then up there, uh, Ekron is where Samson would have started his ministry. In Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 2 when, remember, David has run from Saul and he's gone down to the land of the Philistines. And David rose and passed over with 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Moak, the son of Gath. So this, this is the, the, remember where David was when he had left. He's staying with the Philistines in Gath. And he's going to go fight with the king of Gath against uh, his countrymen because he'd been living there with them. So, this is Gath up here where David was leaving. It's still a big city at the time that David was there. And it says, and now the Philistines gathered together all their armies. And, uh, and the lords of the Philistines passed by uh, hundreds and thousands. But David and the men passed uh, on in the re rearward of Achish. Then, the prince, uh, then said the princes of the Philistines, what do these Hebrews here? So the princes of the Philistines are the lord of the Philistines, are the guys from these five cities and he is only attached, David's only attached to the one, to the king of Gath. So this is a big organization, big group of people. And when they're fighting Israel, they're fielding 100,000 soldiers. So this is not a small group. They're, they're grouped by the thousands um, as they're marching past. And, and David is a part of that. That's just to talk about the, the way that it's the, the society set up there. And then again in 1 Samuel 29.7. Now, wherefore now return and go in peace, thou, uh, that thou dis displease not the lords of the Philistines. They were equal, uh, the kings of these five cities. They, were, they had some equality between them. Gaza is the capital of the Philistines, Israel's greatest enemy during the Iron Age. Gaza controlled all the routes by which later invading armies entered Israel. So Gaza was very important to the Philistines because of where it was on the coast. They could bring things in. Remember, there are seafaring people, according to the Egyptians. And uh, so it was their big major city. I say all that to just talk about the walls, the gates, and the security here. Judges 16.3, And Samson lay till midnight, and arose at midnight, and took the doors of the gate of the city and the posts, and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulder, and carried them up into the top of the hill that is before Hebron. This is not a couple of big doors that he's carrying. This is the gates to the city, and he rips them out of the ground with the post and the bar still in them. That means he throws this thing on his shoulders, and it goes up, what, 14, 16 feet above his shoulder, and he walks or jogs 45 miles up to this, this mountain. The closest mountain in Hebrew, Hebron is about 45 miles away. With this, muscles don't do that. Okay, but the God that says, let there be light, and there was light, when he says, get rid of the gate, little wimpy guy can pick up a gate and run with it. Listen, if you start serving God, and God says, I want you to go do this, you can do it. Not you. God can do it through you. It's exciting, friends. It's so <laughs> exciting to, to get to go, I, I, to get to start praying for somebody in another country, and and, and to just have the Spirit of God come on you and you get to pray for them in a way that that's you, you can't do. You, you just don't have the knowledge, the understanding to do, except for God directing you for their family members and things in their town. And you go, man, I can never do anything else. I want to do this and nothing else. When you get ready to serve God with all of your heart, God will allow you to do it. He'll give you the desires of your heart. It is so cool that he pulls these big gates off. And I hate the pictures where he's carrying these two doors. These are not doors. These are the gates of a great big city. Okay. I'm not going to keep preaching that. And so here is this route. See the green line? That's where he runs one night with these, these four-ton gate. All the way up over here is the first 
major mountain range in Hebron, the tall mountain over there. And it's about, he went from sea level to about 25, 3,500 feet uh, to get the thing out there. Okay, I finished in time. I love the story of Samson. Samson is a goober, and that's why I love the story. Because God uses people like me. God takes people that are, are, shouldn't be able to do the things that God gives you the strength to do. I love it. I love just getting out of the way and seeing what God can and will do. Friends, don't confine yourself to what you can do. Samson didn't. And God used Samson, sometimes it seems unwillingly almost. Like Samson would make terrible decisions and God would use terrible decisions for his glory. But at the end of his life, what a thing to look back on. What a thing to see what God has done. Trust God. Step out in faith. You don't have the money? Awesome. If you don't have the money, then, then God will provide it if he's called you to do it. And if not, awesome. You now know that that's not what God's called you to do. It's cool either way. Trust God and, and, and follow him. You know, the Bible tells us, last thing about this culture issue, the Bible tells us that if we love God, Everybody will love us. Nope. That's not what it says. It says, if you love me and you follow me, you will be hated and reviled. If everybody loves you, you're doing it wrong. If, if you're hated and reviled for the name of Christ, not for you, for the name of Christ, he says, be happy about that. Rejoice and jump for joy. And then he says, do good to them that revile you. When, the, when they are hating on you, you don't say, <laughs> you say, God loves you and I love you. Thank you for letting me be in prison here so I could sing hymns with my buddy here, Silas. And we're going to spend the night singing hymns after you beat me. And then God will use you. Okay, I'll stop. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your awesome glory. Thank you that you use Weak, sinful flesh for your kingdom and for your glory. Thank you for using us and for letting us be here. Lord, help us to be on fire for the things of God. Help us to not be swayed by the culture of men, Father, but to be swayed by you. And Lord, to sway others, to let others see what it looks like to be your sons and daughters and to live boldly and epically for you, Father. I pray that you would glorify your name in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen.